You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. All right, so the title of today's sermon is The King Has Come and He Is Coming Again. So that's something we're going to be talking about as uh, what we're entering into is this time of, of Advent, uh, which is something that the church has traditionally uh, talked about and, and used throughout history. And what it means, what the word Advent means is the coming or, or uh, the arrival. And so what this time traditionally has been about is, is the coming or the arrival, the initial coming and arrival of Jesus. And so I want to read this. I want to start off by reading 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 8 through 13 to you. I have all the rest of the scriptures up here. I, I failed to write this one up here. But this is, this is kind of the, the starting place for today. 1 Peter chapter 1, 8 through 13, and it says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, get this, not themselves, they weren't serving themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, as we're looking at this coming, the first coming of the Lord, which happened about 2,000 years ago, we're also in this time where we're looking for the next coming, the second coming of Jesus. And so, we're going to be looking at, at those two this morning. In fact, it's the first Sunday of the month. This is our designated Sunday for communion. So, we're going to be looking at these and tying them together. And so as Christians, we should live each day knowing that Jesus has come and he is coming again. This is the great hope of the church. So today, we're, uh, as we look at these scriptures, we're going to see that people in the Bible, they eagerly expected and anticipated and desired the coming of the Messiah. And we're going to look at that and we're going to look and see what that means to us today. Are we... Are we to have the same mindset? And so I'm going to start off by asking two questions, and, and then I, I'm going to try to use a riddle. I hope it's successful. We'll see if it works or not. So start off with these two questions. The first question is, what is the bad news? What is the bad news? And now it depends on who you ask, all right? If you ask a parent, uh, the answer could be, well, the bad news is that my kids are sick. Uh, they have been sick. I amen that. Whitney will amen that. That's where we've been. That's, that's, that kind of was our bad news. If you ask a business owner, what's the bad news? He could say, man, the supply chain's broken down. If you ask a Ukrainian, 
what's, what's the bad news? They could be like, man, my country's at war. It's under attack. If you ask Hank Williams Jr., he might say that the interest is up and the stock market's down. If you want to get mugged, you can go downtown. The second question is, the simp- uh, is the simply the opposite of the first question, all right? And the first question was, what's the bad news? The second question is the opposite. What is the good news? And, and the parent might say, well, even though my child's sick, I have access to a doctor who can give us food or, or you know, medicine that we can take to give to our kids to help them get better. The business owner might say, well, while the supply chain is broken, my customers are understanding and willing to wait. The Ukrainian might say, the good news is I just received a care package with clothes and food and water, and so I'm going to be able to supply the, uh, care to my family during this tough time. And Hank would say, a country board will survive. So let me show you this riddle. Let me tell you this riddle first, all right? So a guy leaves home, all right? If you know the answer, please don't shout it out because <laughs> it's old riddle. You probably know it. Uh, so a guy leaves home, and he, he goes jogging. He jogs for a while, and uh, he takes a left. And he jogs another little while, takes another left. And then he jogs some more. He takes another left. And then he jogs, and he, gets, he ends up back home, and there's a guy, two guys, wearing face masks. What's going on? He gets home and there's guys with masks. So who are the guys? Does anybody, raise your hand if you know who the guys are. Yeah, okay. I should have known. Uh, all right, so let, let me draw it for you. All right? Let me move this. This thing's heavy. All right. You'll see where I'm getting at, hopefully, here in a second. So a guy leaves home. He jogs for a while, takes a left. He jogs another way, takes a left. Jogs another way, takes a left. I know my baseball diamond is off. Jogs another way and takes a left. He comes home and there's two guys with masks. Who are the two guys with the mask? That's right. Catching up. It's a little baseball riddle for you. Home. He's home. My point is, it's one thing to hear something. It's another thing to see it and to understand it. And so, when we hear these questions... Um, it depends on where you, it's, it, there's this old saying, where you stand on a situation depends on where you sit. And um, <clears throat> it's, it's that thing of, you, when we hear these questions, we're answering them typically out of the here and now. And the most of, uh, the most of us, including me, would a lot, most of the time answer these questions by what was directly influencing us in that moment. And as Christians, we're called to live differently than the world. We're, we're called to live with our eyes wide open. 
And we're not to walk around narrowly focused on what's right in front of us in that moment, but we're to see everything on this bigger picture, on this grander scale, that God is sovereign and God is in control. Uh, That's why we sing these songs like, Open the eyes of our heart, Lords. We need to be able to see as He sees so we can do as He says. So when we ask these questions from a different perspective, from knowing the, the full truth, from knowing Jesus as King, the answer to both questions is the same for everybody everywhere. doesn't matter if you're in the United Kingdom or here in Crossville or in Peru. What is the bad news? Well, the bad news is that I'm a sinner and that nothing I can do, can, I, I can't do anything to save myself. I'm spiritually dead and I have no hope in and of myself for this life or eternity to come. And the second question is, what is the good news? And the, the answer to that is that God has made a way where there seems to be no way. He has allowed His only Son, Jesus, to die in my place for my sins and take away all my unrighteousness and replace it with His righteousness. I don't have to hope, or I don't have to worry about this life. I can have hope in this life, and I am even promised to be with God in heaven for all eternity where I can worship my Lord and Savior. So with that, I just want to simply read uh, several passages of Scripture prophesy about Jesus and as as we're in the season of of Advent of of looking at the coming the first coming of Christ and and thinking about the second coming and as we um, are focused on 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 the Christmas season as we strive to keep the main thing the main thing I, I want us to better meditate on the word of God and what it tells us about our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, I don't want you just to hear what I have to say because what I have to say is just coming from me, a flawed man. But I want you to search the scriptures and look for yourself and know the full story because God's word is un- it's, it's not flawed. It's perfect in every way. And so you can look and read this stuff for yourself and you can share it with others. So the first thing I want to start off with so what, uh, let me say this. When we were in Peru, uh, Ray was the man when it came to ho- handing out tracks. And uh, Ray doesn't speak any English, right, Ray? I mean, or Spanish. <laughs> yeah, or he speaks Ray is what he speaks. I mean, if you know Ray, that's what he speaks. He speaks Rayism. So I uh, wonder about her. All right? That's right. Amen? Okay. All right. So Ray speaks English, not Spanish. I'm sorry. And so he's handing out these Spanish tracks, but every time he'd ask me for a new, more tracks, or ask Dale, he's like, hey, give me some of those. What'd you call them, Ray? That's right, good news, bad news Bibles tracks. He's like, hey, where's them good news, bad news tracks? And uh, I thought that was real interesting because it's true. You've got to know the bad news before you can know the good news. And so that's where we're starting this morning is, is with Genesis 3.15. See, Adam and Eve fell uh, not soon after they were created. They, they, they sinned, and we see God himself confront Adam and Eve and the serpent, and he speaks to them in Genesis 3.15, and he's speaking to the ser- serpent when he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, 
and you shall bruise his heel. And just like I said, it's, it's important to start with the bad news. Because if you don't have the bad news first, you have no, good, no reason to know the good news. And if your bad news, let me say this, if your bad news is simply a worldly problem, then chances are you're not looking for a godly answer. You can just, hey, if I need more money, I go to the bank. Hey, if I need more food, I go to the grocery store. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, not, it's one of those things that the world, those without Christ, tend to move from worldly problem to worldly problem to worldly problem. And they are easily quenched just enough by worldly answers. And it's only when you come to the realization that we all have one big spiritual problem in that you need a spiritual answer in the form of the Savior Jesus Christ that the rest of it falls into place, that you get the riddle, that your eyes are opened. So that's where we see here in Genesis 3.15 that Adam and Eve who have a perspective that we don't have. See, they had lived perfect lives up until that point in a perfect place with God walking with them daily, and now all of a sudden, it's changed. And we've never experienced anything like that. We've only ever known fallenness. So, so we can't even hardly, I don't think, truly grasp what's happening here. But yet we can know enough, the Lord reveals enough to us through Scripture, that we see that this is the point. This is the point that things broke. This is the point that Jesus was commissioned by God. Hey, here's the plan. In fact, God knew this was going to happen beforehand. That's the amazing thing. He was already prepared. He was already prepared. And so here we see the promise, the first promise of a Messiah. The next thing I want you, well, let me, let me say this. <clears throat> So that's, that's, that's kind of a, a, a challenge to us as we pray through this season, as we're in this Christmas season of what could we be praying? How, how could we be praying? And I think that Christians should be praying that the Lord reveal himself to those around us and, and then put us in positions to share the good news with him. I mean, that's, that's the blessing the part of the mystery of salvation, why the Lord picked any of us and revealed himself to any of us, I do not know. But yet he has, and we should be praying for others to have that same revelation so that they may know the God of the universe and the Savior of their lives. He's right there. He's knocking at the door. So Isaiah 9, we, we jump forward quite a ways, a thousand plus years, and we see this prophet Isaiah. And I wanted to read this to you. It's, it's 9, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is a prophecy uh, from Isaiah. And it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he was brought into contempt in the land of uh, Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he has been made glorious uh, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of dark, deep darkness, on them has light shined. 
You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, uh, the battle tumult, and even uh, garment, or, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here we see a, a, a man of God. Be, he's given this prophecy. And he, he's, he's talking to the people of the time. And he's doing it in a way that he's saying, Hey, remember what the Lord said. Even back to what Moses wrote to us in the book of Genesis, even in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers, all these, all, there's, there's multiple verses, and I, I encourage you to seek them out, where the Lord is constantly dropping hints of, hey, I remember what I told you, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Here's, here's, here's another little bit about the Messiah. Here he is. He's coming. And here in... Here in um, Isaiah, we see this man of God, and he's, he's saying, here's even more. Here's what it's going to look like. Is that he'll be wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, of his increase, of his government and peace, there will be no end. He's coming, guys. It's been a, it's been a while. It's been a while. The Messiah is still coming. So we go forward. There's... there's Israel is, is, is evil and wicked and does evil in the sight of the Lord. They're taken into captivity. They return. Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, they rebuild the walls and the temple. People are crying. The, there's, there's a movement back towards God, and then there's a falling away. There's a movement towards God, and then there's a falling away. And then there's about 400 years of silence before we get to the New Testament. And then in Luke, if you want to look with me in Luke uh, 1 and 2, I want you to see... During this time, there's still prophets and there's still prophetesses and, and people talking about the Messiah and that the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And so here we get to, uh, right up to the point of, of now the Lord is going to provide Jesus. He's, he's going to send Jesus in the form of a baby. And so what I want us to see is, is these people that have been hearing this Year after year, time after time, through the feast, through, through all the ins, comings outs and going ins of the temple and, and, and passed down from gener, generation to generation. Here's Mary, after um, the angel comes to her, and after Mary visits Elizabeth, her, her um, uh, cousin, it says this. Mary, sings, Mary is, is impressed upon by the Holy Spirit. And, and is told that she's going to be the uh, mother of, of Jesus, of this Messiah. And she says this in, in verses 47 
or starting in verses 46 and then going through 55. This is what Mary does when she hears about what is fixing to happen in the role that she's fixing to play. And it says, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on this humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has sown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down their mighty from their thrones and exalted those who hum, uh, of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She's heard this her whole life. I mean, she's a young girl. She's a teenager. She hasn't heard, I mean, she's not lived a full long life, but yet she knows that the Messiah is coming and now an angel has spoken to her and now she knows that she's going to be used to be the mother of the Messiah. And so she sings this great song, this great song of praise. Not long after that, if we just go on down a little bit, we see Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. And we see what happens to him when he uh, prophesies after he sees his son. And it says this in, in verse 67, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show the mercies, uh, mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant." the oath that he has sworn to our, fathers, our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness, righteousness before him all of our days. So here's another man that is confronted with this truth. Hey, it's happening. Jesus is here. He's been coming. The Messiah has been coming. He's here. He's fixing to arrive any minute. I'm going to use your son, Zechariah, to talk about Jesus right before he gets here. And Zechariah prophesies, prophesies and praises God. The next thing I want you to see is that when Jesus is born, the shepherds in the fields are, are there and the angels come out and expl express to them that it's happened. Here it is. Here's the Messiah. Chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same day, or in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great, or good news of great joy that will be for all, pe all the people. For unto you uh, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, uh, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, or peace on earth, I'm sorry, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's an, it's an amazing thing that 
here it is. Once again, we have this, this promise coming, this promise coming, this promise coming. And here we see Mary, a teenage girl who's, who's used as the mother of, of, of Jesus, and then Zechariah. And now the angels show up and say, if you had any doubt, this is exactly who he's supposed to be. Jesus is the Messiah. He's born right here. This is him, the one born in the city of David. This is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. The next thing we see is, is just a kind of a random guy. He's in, he's in the temple. His name is Simeon. If you go on to uh, chapter 2, verse 25, now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the count, uh, uh, consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the, in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in uh, the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him upon his arms and, said, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Once again, we see a man confronted with the Messiah. This isn't Jesus who's healed anybody yet. He's not walked on water. He's not done anything. He's not raised Lazarus from the dead. But this guy was looking for the Messiah. And the Lord allowed him to see him. And he recognized him as it says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He said to the, to the and it says right after that, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. That's Simeon. He's, he's, Mary and Joseph are, surprised a little bit or or they're marveling at what Simeon is saying. And Simeon tells Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also also, so that uh, thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Very right after that, we see a lady named Anna who's a prophetess. She says this, it says in verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of uh, Phanuel, I don't know how to say his name, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a, woman, as a widow until she was 84. She was 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up, at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Once again, here's an 84-year-old woman. She had lived a long, full life, right? But she was always looking for the Messiah, and here he is. Here he is. And what did she do? She worshiped. She began to give thanks to God. 
So what I want us to gain from all this is that there is no doubt that Jesus is the promised one. He is the Messiah. And when we see Jesus, when we see Jesus, we should have an appropriate response. Just like Mary and Zechariah and Simeon and Anna in the New Testament, when we encounter Jesus, it should be life-changing. And so, what's different in the time that we live now in, in these times that we've been reading about? And, and the difference is that we've, we have even more of the story we get to see Jesus has, has lived a perfect, sinless life and that he died on the cross in a place for our sins and he, was a, he rose from the dead. We have a fuller, truer picture of who Jesus is. They, they had just the very beginning and they were worshiping in a, in a right and devout and appropriate way. We have even more to go off of. We've, we've been able to see that he truly is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That all these, all these prophecies, even the ones that we've not even talked or touched on today, about him being born in Bethlehem, about him spending time in Egypt, about him dying on a cross that wasn't even a form of death when that was prophesied. All of that's come true. We know that Jesus is who he says he was and who the Bible says he is. And that is, he is the Son of God. And that means that if we call on his name, that means that everything he said is true. And he told us, if we call on his name, we will be set free. He can set us free. So as we live awaiting the second coming, how are we to live as, as, as we celebrate this Advent season, as we look at Jesus, that he came and that he's coming again, how are we to live? How are we to conduct our lives? And the answer is simply that we should be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us and that we should listen when Jesus speaks. As Christians, we should always follow where Jesus leads and obey what he tells us to do. Amen? So what, what we do on the first Sunday of the month is we desire to obey what the Lord tells us to do. And, and we do that in taking communion and observing the Lord's Supper. And, and so that's what we're going to do here in a minute. And like I just said, much of this month is focused on little baby Jesus in the manger in the birth of, of Christ. And that's, that's a great thing to look at, without a doubt. But the fuller truth, the bigger picture, is that Jesus not only was born, but he lived that perfect sinless life and that it's his death and his burial and his resurrection that washed away our sinfulness and our uncleanliness and that is what made us clean and and so when we look at what the lord tells us to do what jesus commands us to do dell's mentioned this several times he never commands us to to celebrate his birth 
but he commands us to remember his death and his burial and his resurrection. With that said, let me read this last chapter to you, and it's going back to Isaiah, because Isaiah not only prophesied the birth in the beginning, but he also uh, prophesied about the life of the Savior. And this is one that we read very frequently when it comes to um, the time of communion and the Lord's Supper. Isaiah 53 says this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born... Our, uh, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's the bad news, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now the good news. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land, out of the living, stricken, for the transgressions of my people. And they made him made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted, right, uh, accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoils with the strong. Because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's me. And that's you. And that's all of us. Jesus came. He was made the man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And it's only through him that we can have peace. So as we start communion, that's what we want to do. We want to honor the commandments of Jesus in that we want to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. We want to Follow where he leads. And uh, we want to uh, do as he says. We, we, we want to follow the leading of, of the Lord in, in this time, in this day and age, in this church. And, and um, I'm going to pray and, and the men are going to pass out the elements. I'm going to ask Aubrey if you'll come play the piano. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we come to you now. We, we recognize that you sent your son, Jesus, as our redeemer and our savior, Lord, and we are thankful for that. Jesus, we thank you for the life you lived and, and the life you laid down on the cross so that we may have life. Lord, we, we thank you for this time of communion. Lord, may we do it in a way that honors you. May we follow you where you lead. May the desires of your heart, Lord, be the desires of our heart. As William said, may we die to self and, and live for you. May we decrease and may you increase. Lord, we, we just want to serve you. Forgive us where we fall short, Lord. Um, may, we, may we just know you more fully than we ever have. May you become more real to us each and every day of this this month and, and this, this, this season, Lord. And uh, may we be overwhelmed by your presence in our lives. And may you use us to further your kingdom and your glory. We, we ask these things in your name. Be with us now as we take communion. We ask these things, Jesus. Amen.